So turn in your Bibles if you have one or pull it up on your phone. This is the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. We're down at the 18th verse and we're going to kind of go a piece at a time here through these verses. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in the first nine verses. Then the the bulk of this is going to be in the last three and you'll see why um, as we we move along here. But this is the theme for today. Our purpose is to love. This is all of us. Our purpose is to love. Our destiny is to find love in all things. In the first three verses of this passage, that is the 18th verse down to the, to the 20th, I, I apologize for the small fonts today, I didn't have time to fix that. Um, it says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So the lack of of love and the rejection of our destiny to love leads to frustration, it leads to groaning, to bondage, to decay, and it even affects the planet. That might seem like a bold thing to say, but when you go back in Scripture to the beginning, Genesis, and you have the story of Adam and Eve, and you have the story of their first, the first time that they messed up, the first time they sinned. They had one rule, and they blew it. And they ate that fruit they weren't supposed to eat. But what was the... The consequences given there, I just want to look to that in in about the third chapter, I think it's verse 17. Among other curses that God pronounced or described, here's here's the the result of, of your choice, not just for you, but for mankind. He said to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. That's a pretty heavy burden for Adam to wear, but again, it's humanity. And When you think about that, Adam was in a garden with Eve, and they had everything they could want, all the food they could want, and they violated one rule, and that meant, oh, now there's, it's going to be different, and this fruit isn't going to come easy. Now you're going to have to work for it. I don't know how many of you garden, whether it's, um, you know, vegetables or even fruit or just flowers, but you know that to grow something is, um, it's simple, but it takes work. I'm pretty sure you can't just plop a seed in the ground and expect it to grow and be there for you, especially if you're trying to produce, you know, a tomato from it. You know, it it involves the right ground, the right soil, the right time of year, um, watering on a regular basis, but not too much. That's something I, that's a mistake that I make, ask Linda. Um, So we, we have to care for them in a process in order to produce the fruit. It still does happen, but it's not easy. Perhaps that's part of the curse, but in, in other ways, The planet is cursed by mankind right now, isn't it? We have pollution. We have uh, in in the water and in the ground. Everything we need physically comes from the ground. We draw water from underneath through a well. The, The plants that we grow, grow in the earth, in the ground. Some of those plants are trees and we, in time, we cut that tree down and we make things like this, things we sit on. 
Everything we need comes from the ground, and the Bible says from the start the ground is cursed. So in a sense, the planet is cursed, and that curse is evident by the choices that we've collectively made as humanity that for our own convenience, largely, not only that, we end up polluting the water, polluting the sky, polluting the food, and it's it's frustration on the part of creation because of mankind and God is calling us out of that into something better and and to liberate creation itself somehow at least on earth I think that's what this verse is pointing to and then uh, in verse 22 it says this down to 25 we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For this is for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So Paul is basically using creation and the, the, the trouble with creation, trouble in this world, as, as, a, as a metaphor to talk about our own condition within and how we, we groan in the spirit within from a very deep place because something is just not right. Love in this world remains unfulfilled. We see it. We touch on it. Hopefully we're blessed with enough true loving relationships in our life that that is truly life-giving. And, and it's, it's why you get up in the morning every day, isn't it? Because there's people that matter to you and you matter to other people. And that's an expression of love, which, which is from the very heart of God. That, that's what we are wired to do and to become. But when it goes bad, something within says, this isn't right. This is broken. Something just doesn't quite connect. And while love for people is, is important, we know that the, it had to come from a bigger place, just like the universe, big and wide as it is, had to come from somewhere, somehow. And science tells us how. It doesn't say why. And the Bible dares to tell us why. And, and so this is... Part of our groaning is simply that sometimes things aren't going well and our, our bodies groan. I was talking to the kids a moment ago when things are hard that we can't find the words to say and, and we groan. And that's really what the next section speaks about then in the 26th verse. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You ever been so worn out you can't find the words? You ever been so beaten up and hurt? That, and, and by life or grief that there simply are not words to be said because it's bigger and deeper than a word can contain. And you somehow have to express it and you cry. 
I think that's what I was sharing with the children. That's, that's true of the infant. The infant has one language, and so it, it expresses that language. And eventually, the, the infant also learns to laugh and sees the response that that gets, and the infant is crying out for connection. And hopefully, there's going to be a loving parent or parents there to provide that connection and, and of course, to take care of their physical needs. But that is the, the beauty of love is that it, while words are important to express and to say something simple like, I love you, we also know that it runs much deeper, especially in our weakness, as it says in that 26th verse. That's when the words become impossible. If you're familiar with the Old Testament story of a man named Job and a whole book, 42 chapters long about Job, you may know that he was a man that suffered greatly. He lost everything, his business, his children, everything. And as he was sitting in that awful moment of grief, his friends came to sit by him. And they sat with him in grief and they were silent for the The story says for seven whole days. And then, after seven days, one of them spoke up. Now, I said that book is 42 chapters long. That part of the story is just a little bit of the first couple of chapters. For 30-some chapters, there is an ongoing dialogue between Job and his friends about this pain that he's going through and the reason that it happened And clearly, Job, you must have done something really bad for God to treat you like this. So what is it? What have you done? Because they, as most people, not just then, but even now, if we're honest with ourselves, we have this quid pro quo idea about God. If I do nice things, then God's going to give me nice things. If I do bad things, then life's going to go bad for me because that's the way God is, right? And yet, that's not the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And a verse that we looked at in this very book of Romans not long ago says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, his love for us came not because we earned anything, but because he decided to love us such as we are, the way we are. No questions asked. That's Jesus Christ. That's what he gave to us. And yet... That story of Job is there for a reason because this is the way we usually treat people and, by extension, the way we think of God. If if people have this exchange idea, you're good to me, I'll be good to you, then that must be how God is, and that's what his friends thought. And for 30-some chapters, they had this ongoing debate and dialogue, and Job said, no, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why are you saying this about me? And they did it very poetically and eloquently back and forth. And then eventually God shows up and he speaks. And he sets them all straight. But this is just a a, a beautiful verse to talk about how the Spirit of God in us can can speak for us. The Spirit of God understands like the parent understands that screaming infant and knows what it needs, knows what it wants, and has a pretty good idea of why he or she is crying in that moment. That's the beauty of of the gospel. And as a, the last few moments here, I want to look at, at three specific verses at the end of today's reading. This is down to the verse, down to the, the 30th verse is what we're covering today. So in 28 are these familiar words that you 
may or may not have come across in your life. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Those words from Romans 8.28 have been unintentionally used to hurt people. It wasn't the desire of the one speaking them. In fact, their intention was good. My friend is going through a difficult time in grieving, especially a loss of of a loved one, a friend, a family member, and they're in deep place, and they're hurting. And their friend, like Job's friends, rather than coming in silence, is to be with them. Your presence is what is your greatest gift, by the way, to a person that is grieving. Your presence as, as a friend, as, as if someone who, who shares in the love for the person that is gone, or you just love that person because you know they're hurting. You're there for them, literally. And you don't have to have words. And sometimes people feel pressure to say something, so if they know their Bible, they'll grab this verse and say, well, everything works out okay when you love God. No, don't do that. Because what you're saying to them is, my pain doesn't matter because my pain is good somehow. Or, or worse yet, that God made this happen to teach me and someone else some bigger lesson somehow. No. This is what I see in this verse. When our purpose is to love, we can find love in all things. All things. So, yes, this is unfair. Yes, this is painful. Yes, this is unjust. Yes, my pain is beyond what I can bear. And God didn't didn't plant this in you, force this in you. It's It's not God who did it, but God is there to help you through it. And isn't that when faith matters the most? I mean, as if... People that, 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 that follow Jesus Christ and, and believe in Jesus and participate in the church in whatever way and worship and activity and such. If, if this is all about just some social club and we feel good around one another and have a good time, and we do, and that's great. But if God isn't there in the deepest, darkest moment and somehow to... to even if it doesn't, it's never going to make sense to me. I don't have to have an answer. I just want to know I'm not alone in this. I just want to know that, that, that how I'm feeling is, is common to us, someone. And that's when, as friends of God, we express care and love to people by our presence. And, and sometimes words are helpful, and sometimes even the scripture, when it's understood in context, can, can be you know, helpful in, in this way, that God is, is here now too. He isn't just here when you're happy and you're celebrating because you got a raise at work, or you're, you fall in love, or you know, your, your kid won the trophy for the team. You know, that's wonderful, that's great, but what about when everything falls apart? Yes, God's there then too. All things. John writes about who this is, who is eligible for this blessing that God is there for all things. Well, in the verse itself, it says, to those who love him. Well, what kind of love are we talking about? What is it to love God? 
2 John 1.6 says this, and this is love. So it's a pretty direct application. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Now, don't stop there. Oh, here we go again, a bunch of rules. No, no, listen. And you have heard from the beginning, his command is to walk in love. That's the command. His command is to, is, to, is to love God and love others. Or another way of saying it is to love God by loving others. Because he says that in 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Wow, that's pretty powerful. Let me read that again. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Love is the litmus test for being part of God's family, for being eligible for whatever promise we see in Romans 8.28, those who love him. Because if it was only about loving God and you isolate that strange concept because what what does that look like i sing i i I, some of these songs are kind of nice i i enjoy them i'll sing the song i'll say some deep place that i love god i'm not saying don't do that but if love isn't somehow tangible in relationships that we that we understand that we've been literally born into then loving God is, is completely foreign. Then it is just some mysterious being, power, force out there in the universe, and what does that have to do with me? But when I see and feel and know that I'm loved by others, that's an indication that there is something bigger and more powerful. Because, because love is the antithesis of evolution. Evolution, so I'm not saying evolution doesn't happen, okay? I'm just saying that the, the way the natural world works is evolution. The natural world says the survival of the fittest. Love says the opposite. Love says, I'm going to lay down my life for your sake. I'm going to sacrifice for your sake. I'm going to give up me for you. That's love. That's the promise in a marriage ceremony. These two people come together and they promise to to put each other ahead of themselves because of love. That's what happens when that baby is born and and, and you don't even know it. You know, parents, remember when, especially your firstborn, we had no idea what we were getting into, did we? (laughs) Oh, boy. I mean, we had some idea. I mean, we, we've seen other people do it, and we've maybe even read books about it, but we've had example in our lives and in, within our own family structure that may have been really helpful and maybe not. But, okay, we're as ready as we're going to be for this child, and now here they are. And do you remember the moment when... You know, of course, the birth you remember and with most people is at the hospital and there's, there's doctors, there's nurses, there's people helping you and caring for every little thing. And then you take her, take her home or him home. And now this little life is yours and literally in your hands. And that's pretty frightening. And you give up so much. You give up sleep, (laughs) 
You give up a lot of money that you maybe could have used for other things, but why does that matter to you? Because of love. And just like God's love for us, that love wasn't based on a condition that he or he be something first. You have to show me that you are deserving of my love, little one. Okay, now you can be fed. No, the love was instant and unconditional and unquestioned and sustained for a lifetime. That's the goal, isn't it? To always love. That is how God loves us. That's why we can believe in a God and trust in a God that is because love is. Twenty-ninth verse. Sorry again about the small font. Says this: for those who, for those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The response to God, the response of God to everyone who chooses to love, is to invite, encourage, reveal, show, and welcome. Predestined is a big word, kind of a churchy word especially. Just think of destiny. There are segments of, of Christianity that take that word in this verse and a few others and then draw the conclusion that God predestined everything. There's a set of people that will be with God forever and there's a set of people that won't and it's up to God completely. And you're just kind of along for the ride. I don't believe that, but just so you know, if you haven't never run into that, um, the historical theological word is Calvinism. Some guy named John Calvin came up with that. Um, but I don't believe that. So what I see in this verse is the, the destiny is, um, I'm going to describe it this way, to, to invite us into an ever-deepening love. We are called according to his purpose. A calling is an invitation to participate, uh, to encourage us that we are known by him, those that God foreknew. In other words, he, there's nothing new in humanity in terms of you, like, like your stuff in your life doesn't surprise God. And it's like, oh, I've never seen that before. Is that what they mean by original sin? Oh, that was original, Paul. No. <laughs> Sin is sin and problems are problems. We all have them. And, and the, the, the challenge is this, to, to believe that I'm loved even though I admit that that happened. The, the easy reaction is to deny it and deflect it and defer it. And, but when, when you have the courage to, to own it and say, yeah, that was mine. I did that. I'm responsible for that. And, 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 and to, to admit that to yourself first. And to God, but usually there's a person involved with the most hurtful stuff, right? So it's going to that person. That's the power of love and forgiveness at, at work when, when you ask forgiveness and that forgiveness is extended or vice versa. And so this is what we're being welcomed into. God knows what we're all about uh, to reveal to us that we have a destiny predestined. So predestiny to me is that God laid out what the wiring for love and we can choose to walk in it or not. We can choose to draw life from it or not. And, and this is the way it's going to work and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. It's the best way to live. But it's up to us. 
So the predestiny is there's, there's a prepackaged way of life ready for us to step into, and Jesus provided that and showed the way to it and, and gave us an example to follow. Not just in by he's kind, he helps the poor, all of that, but by sacrifice, he gave his life, and so we're thankful that he did that as a way of forgiveness, but then it's also the idea that we give up our lives for the sake of the other. And that's what love teaches us to do, um, to show us how to live into our true image, the, to, to conform, to, to reform, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, and then to welcome us into his family, many brothers and sisters. We are, we are part of the, the family of God, children of God, when we live in love, as we touched on a moment ago. And then lastly, we have uh, in, the, in the 30th verse, <clears throat> those he predestined, he also called, those he called, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. Again, we are called, hearing and responding to the call of love, that desire, that, that, that yearning within us to, to connect with people in the best possible way. We are justified, which is a big churchy word. Um, and I say it this way, no matter how great our sin, I should have had that on there, I'm sorry. No matter how great our sin or how often we sin, we can always choose love. It's not like there's a cutoff. Too often we, people use the, the baseball rule. You, you mess with me once, okay, I'll let it go. Mess with me twice, all right, this is your last warning. Three strikes, you're out. And that's it. I'm really glad God doesn't work that way. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm about up to strike number 43,107. Because not, not that I'm proud of any of those strikes and I want to learn it, but, but I mess up. I still mess up. And God says, oh, okay, Paul, come on. Yeah, I know you feel bad about it. I'm glad you feel bad, but, you know, make amends. Come on. He doesn't stop loving me. He doesn't, and, and he doesn't, or, or give me some lesser version of love because I'm not perfect yet. That's the love of God. That's the, and that's the way he wants us to treat one another. And it, it comes back again to that, that, that parent-child relationship. Our, our kids are going to mess up, and that screaming baby is going to eventually make you scream, okay? <laughs> because something, some choice that he or she made that you're really disappointed about, and you've told them a hundred times, and you know they struck out multiple times, but you know what? You still love them. As hard as it might be sometimes, you love them. And, and this is what we see in God. And ultimately, we are, we are glorified. In this world, we get a slight taste, a mild scent, a brief glimpse, a quick touch, a still small voice of what is to come. Because he's talking about in this passage also about right now it's like this. Right now it's suffering. And, 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 and live in love and do the best you can with it and draw life from it. But God's promise is something more. I love science. I'm not scared of science at all as a, a follower of Jesus and, and someone that, that you know, teaches from, from these scriptures and over history we've had you know, clashes about what science says and what this book says. And, and, and really, when you look deeper beyond it, it, it was just a misunderstanding of what's in here, a misapplication or a culture and time that wasn't ready to understand 
You know, for example, not that long ago, the Earth is flat. And that works out pretty well because it's just one big flat thing and heaven is up there and hell is down there. Pretty simple. And you want to get on the right side of that equation when you die, right, everybody? And okay. Well, then we figure out, wait a minute, this thing's round. Which way is heaven? And hell, where is it at? Well, okay, so, so the church adjusted to that. And then later on, we thought, okay, if maybe it's round, but then the earth must be the center of the universe. Everything revolves around it. Well, then we study, you know, the, the skies a little bit more and the stars and there's patterns. You know what? Uh, no, no, we don't. The sun doesn't go around us. We go around it. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, that's not good. And then more than that, we find out that there's more suns out there. And they got little planets around them too. And, and it's really big. Like mind-blowing big. Billions of not just planets or suns, but galaxies. And it's, you know, billions of light years across as much as we can figure. And, and you know, I don't know if they have that right. I don't know. How do we prove it one way or the other? But the evidence is that it's really big. And that, isn't that great? As a human being, for the time that I'm blessed to walk on this rock we call Earth, I'm trapped here, such as it is. And I want to make the best of it, and I want to show the way of love, because the way of love is what goes on forever. Um, scripture teaches that the three things that go on forever are faith, hope, and love, are the, the, the ways of, of of, of life, and that's beautiful. So what that tells me is this. When, when I leave this world, then I can go explore. That wonderful, massive, endless universe. I think that's why we like shows like Star Wars. I mean, movies like Star Wars and Star Trek and you know, Guardians of the Galaxy and all. We, we just wonder, what might be out there? Isn't that fun? To me, that's heaven. And, and that, that there's order to it. And that the, the, the creator, the God behind it, we use that word G-O-D. And again, that's another limitation of our language that words can't contain what God is. And we have a book here that describes it in a way that we can understand. It doesn't do it perfectly. It does it sufficiently. See the difference there? Enough so we know that we are loved by that being, this God, and that love was expressed beautifully, perfectly, in the one Jesus Christ. That's the message that I believe. And I challenge you, I encourage you to believe that if you don't already, but at least consider it. You know, go home thinking about it. Because we're all going to leave this place at some point, and I think there's something bigger that we're called into that we can have little hints of right now and that in Christ we can be flown off into that <laughs> somehow, whatever it might be. Our purpose is to love and our destiny is to love in all things, to find love in all things. Lord God, I thank you for these moments together to look at these scriptures and my prayer and my hope is that it's made a difference in each of us in some way. Amen.